Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. This is the day GOP candidate Bob Stefanowski had confirmed to join us as part of our series of interviews with all five Connecticut gubernatorial candidates. It's not just me asking the questions. We've been taking listener calls and reading questions posed from viewers watching us on Facebook Live. On Tuesday, Stefanowski's campaign canceled his Where We Live appearance, but we know there are still plenty of questions potential voters have for him before election today. Election Day. So today, where we live, we've assembled a team of reporters and political analysts to walk us through Stefanowski's campaign messaging and his strategy. Is his campaign's rallying cry to eliminate Connecticut's income tax for real? And how will state government operate without that income tax revenue, a whopping $10 billion a year? And realistically, what spending can Stefanowski actually cut from Connecticut's budget? There's a reason Connecticut Mirror reporter Keith Faniff is known as the budget guru. We'll ask him those questions coming up. We'll also take your questions on air. Which gubernatorial candidate are you leaning towards November 6th? Here's the number, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. First, Bob Stefanowski started campaigning long before the Republican primary. He's cast himself as a political outsider and the kind of guy who can get Connecticut out of its fiscal straits by highlighting his business career as a former corporate executive. His non-traditional campaign included ignoring the state Republican Party convention. And despite that, he won that GOP primary. Is his strategy enough to win enough votes outside the GOP base? Can he attract unaffiliated voters, the largest group of voters in Connecticut? My first guest wrote about Bob Stefanowski's latest strategy, and that includes ignoring most press. Neil Vigder is political reporter at the Hartford Current. Neil, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Thanks for having me on. Also joining us by phone is John Dankosky, who's moderated several debates, some when Stefanowski appeared, some where he did not. He's also host of WNPR's The Wheelhouse and executive editor of the New England News Collaborative. John, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Lucy. So, Neil, I'll start with you. Let's talk about uh, what you reported on, and that's this pattern of limited public appearances. Uh, Tell us uh, exactly who has he been shutting out? Well, uh, up until uh, last week, uh, Bob Stefanowski uh, had really only released his campaign schedule publicly four times since winning the GOP primary in in mid-August, and and that's a very unconventional uh, campaign that he's running. Uh, You know, with uh, Ned Lamont, we've seen uh, a TikTok of events, press conferences, uh, daily media availability, uh, and uh, Stefanowski has limited his exposure. Uh, he do- he does give interviews, but uh, you know there are certain uh, media outlets that uh, he's bypassing, and uh, you know he he did some of this in in the primary, and it was effective for him. So uh, I think the kind of mindset uh, for his uh, brain trust is, you know, uh, why, why change what's been working for us? And, uh, you know, he does uh, a lot. He's been fundraising a lot. Uh, he's probably, he, 
says he spent probably 50% of his time since the primary at fundraisers, and all those events are, are closed to the media. Uh, so uh, he and, and the other events that he's done have been party events, things that are pre-ticketed, where you know what kind of audience that you're getting. He has gone to uh, to fairs and and other public events, but he he's not telling the media about it. Uh, there were two. Uh, uh, kind of striking examples of his media kind of blackout strategy. Uh, he uh, had campaigned a couple of weeks ago in New Britain with Aaron Stewart, the mayor there, who is young and uh, gets the whole social media thing, comes from a blue-collar uh, background and city. You would think that that would be the kind of thing that you would want the media to tag along. Uh, they they told uh, the local newspaper, but uh, they didn't tell anybody else in the uh, political press corps. And then uh, about 10 days later, he was with Mark Bowden, the runner-up from the primary, who he beat, the mayor of Danbury at uh, Behringer Ingelheim Pharmaceuticals in Danbury, uh, and not a peep to the media ahead of time about this. And afterwards, Stefanowski explained it, that uh, they have a strict uh, media, no media policy at, uh, at this pharmaceutical company. But uh, it, it is definitely a departure uh, from uh, the traditional campaigns that we've seen in Connecticut. I should say, um, uh, with Bob Stefanowski's campaign canceling on where we live uh, today, um, in the statement they provided, uh, they mentioned that, you know, he's been doing a lot of radio and they now want to get, quote, Bob on the road. We should mention that Bob Stefanowski was actually on the air with a radio station this morning. It's the uh, Lee Elsie Show. This is in southeast Connecticut. And we have a clip from that show. We'll, we'll I want to remind here. everybody, we have a few signs left, uh, Bob Stefanowski signs, so if you want to come and pick them up. Uh, they are here, certainly here at the I studio. I think we may be going through. We're doing a bus tour coming up. I'm going to be on the road for 10 days. Uh, we got a Bob for Governor bus. <laughs> going to be staying nights at Holiday Inns, and, uh, you know, we're going to get out crisscross the state. Uh, with his cancellation, John, uh, you know, there was some on social media that said maybe WNPR should be more fair and balanced. I'm proud to say we don't hand out campaign signs to uh, to our listeners when a candidate comes on. You know, it's interesting, Lucy. I heard about this this morning, and Lee Elsie is a conservative talk show host, and he's been going on with other conservative talk show hosts inside and outside the state of Connecticut. And I think it's part of a larger strategy that's not just about what Neil is discussing, about shutting out the traditional news media, but it's also about really appealing to a very specific base. Now, when you hear a Lee Elsie talk about how he wants to hand out Bob Stefanowski signs, you understand that, that probably it's not only someone who's going to appeal to the base, but also someone who's not going to give the candidate a whole lot of very difficult questions. And if this is part of the strategy, perhaps for Stefanowski, it's working. He's drawn close to Ned Lamont in this most recent uh, poll that we've seen this past week. And He's in the 30s as far as approval uh, amongst Connecticut voters right now, understanding that any poll is just a snapshot. But, you know, if all he needs to get is somewhere in the 35 to 38 percent range and he can beat Ned Lamont, and that's by energizing a very strict base of voters, well, then that's still a win. And so he may be taking a, a little bit of a you know, the playbook of Donald Trump and others from the Republican Party in the last couple of years and 
and saying, we don't need a media that's going to ask us tough questions. We don't need pesky reporters bothering us uh, for details. Uh, I wanted to pick up also on what you are, you and Neil are saying. We have a reporter, David DeRoche, who's been trying to cover the candidates more closely. Uh, he uh, indicated that he had called Stefanowski's campaign to find out if uh, Mr. Stefanowski would be appearing in studio uh, on that Southeastern Connecticut radio show or by phone. He was told by the campaign spokesperson by phone. Instead, he showed up in person. Again, is this part of the strategy, Neil, to avoid, as John mentioned, pesky reporters showing up to ask you questions? Sure, and, and even uh, you know, kind of uh, telegraphing uh, where you're where you're going to be. I mean, I think that uh, Stefanowski's handlers, uh, Chris Lasavita, uh, who uh, has worked uh, previously on Linda McMahon's campaign, uh, McMahon was very uh, tightly controlled, especially in tw- in 2012 when she faced Chris Murphy for the U.S. Senate. Uh, one need look uh, only to 2014 and see, uh, you know, Tom Foley had put out his uh, schedule ahead of time, uh, went to a mill that was closing in Sprague in uh, the southeastern corner of Connecticut uh, and was kind of using that to highlight uh, how bad the economy in Connecticut was uh, is under uh, Democrats and, and Governor Malloy. And uh, lo and behold, uh, the Democrats uh, get, get the schedule. And uh, Kathy Austin, the state senator, who was also the first selectman of Sprague, shows up, confronts Foley, and uh, asks him about his private equity venture capital firm uh, closing a textile mill in Georgia. And he was ill-prepared to, to deal with her confronting him. And uh, you have v- video of him looking like deer in headlights. And uh, that was kind of uh, doomed him. So I think that uh, the people who are advising Stefanowski have seen these kind of things from the past and uh, just kind of say, okay, well, we're going to limit your exposure. Uh, this is where we live. On the phone with us, Neil Vigder, political reporter at the Hartford Current, and John Dankosky, host of WMPR's The Wheelhouse. Uh, John, as I mentioned earlier, you've moderated several debates uh, before the primary and then also in the general election uh, just last week. So really, uh, the public, uh, to be able to hear where Bob stands on issues, it's been uh, in these debates. And has it been um, adequate to hear what he's talking about in terms of if he's elected, uh, this is what he's going to do for the state of Connecticut? We mentioned this on the wheelhouse yesterday, Lucy, and, and it's fascinating. If you get a chance to, to go read the story by Mark Pazniokas in the Connecticut Mirror uh, about this issue in which he tracked down Stefanowski, did get to spend some time with him and some of his handlers, and um, when asked tough questions about the details of his uh, income tax plan, which I'm sure you'll be talking about later on in this program, um, he and his, uh, his support staff said, well, look, 30 seconds at a time uh, during a TV ad or 30 seconds at a time during a debate isn't enough time to fully explain the complexity of what he's trying to do. And that is indeed true. Um, But Bob Stefanowski uh, hasn't taken part in as many debates as others who've taken part in this political campaign season. Uh, As Neil well knows, he didn't uh, appear for all of the forums that Republicans took part in before the primary. I did moderate one uh, in which he was there, and, and a number of other di- very different candidates were there, but we didn't have very much time for any of them. Uh, he declined uh, an invitation for the very first debate uh, post-primary. Uh, Ned Lamont and Oz Griebel both sat down on stage uh, in, in Fairfield 
um, in part because uh, they said they wanted to get their message out soon. Uh, he and his campaign staff said it was way too soon, the, the week of Labor Day, to be able to prepare for uh, something as big as a first debate. And then, of course, he took part in, in this most recent debate that included all three candidates that was uh, last week in Hartford. And I think that, as we heard, there were some um, back and forth between him and Ed Lamont and him and Oz Griebel. Oz Griebel taking the opportunity to say that neither Lamont nor Stefanowski could, in the time allotted, really explain how they were going to cut the income tax and how they're going to solve some of the fiscal problems for the state. So those um, those appearances in the debates haven't necessarily done everything that Stefanowski or, frankly, Ned Lamont is is trying to do. You can join our conversation here on Where We Live. Here's the number, 860-275-7266. Kathy's calling from Madison, where Bob Stefanowski resides. Kathy, welcome to the show. What's your question? Um, hi. Yeah, it's more just a comment um, that I w- I'm really annoyed that he didn't show up to your uh, show today, um, that he canceled at the last minute. And it just shows that he he doesn't seem to be ready to answer tough questions. And I think if he wants to be a representative of you know, if he wants to represent us at, in the state, he needs to um, go to people who may not agree with him and be able to answer um, tough questions. And I think what happens is, is perhaps it's, it's sort of like the Donald Trump thing in that he, he is just a blank slate and or he's just Mr. Cut Taxes. And, um, and then whatever, you know, you, whatever a person opinion that they have, they can put that onto him because he's not there to agree or disagree. Well, thank, uh, thank you, Kathy, uh, for your call. Uh, Neil, we heard uh, Bob again talking about this bus tour that he's going to be embarking on. Uh, do you know if the media has been invited? Uh, I, I, uh, they said that they're going to release the schedule in the next day or two. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they manage that. Uh, you know, a couple of observations, I think, that uh, you know, Stefanowski, in terms of uh, pulling out of his appearance today, uh, you know, I would guess that uh, the calculus on the part of his campaign is that uh, they figure that uh, a lot of uh, listeners who are uh, of WNPR have, have already made up their minds and uh, that uh, they uh, want to go after uh, the, the undecideds and that uh, people who uh, typically uh, uh, listen to WNPR are very informed and, and probably uh, know which way they're going to go on this. Uh, and another thing is that uh, Stefanowski's campaign is even using this kind of uh, uh, tension with the media uh, to fundraise. And uh, there was a email exchange between one of the Stefanowski supporters and uh, Dan Har of uh, Hearst, Connecticut Media, uh, in which uh, Dan Har talked about kind of uh, you know the, the lack of specifics from Stefanowski on his income tax repeal plan, and uh, he used the term that it was a joke. And uh, it suggested that uh, people that were supporting Stefanowski were misinformed. And uh, the Stefanowski people are are kind of running with that and and using that to try to 
uh, fire up the base to raise money, uh, almost the way that uh, Donald Trump uh, used the whole uh, basket of deplorables thing uh, to, to his advantage. Let me pick up on something you said, Neil. Uh, we got a Facebook uh, comment from Tony the other day uh, who uh, wrote, he wasted, Stefanowski wasted an opportunity because a lot of independents and undecided people I know listen to NPR and where we live. And John, this is something that you talked about the other day. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I, what Neil said makes a lot of sense if, if you're going to view uh, listeners of a public radio station or, or really you know, residents of Connecticut in a certain way. But, but I've always viewed it entirely the opposite way. The people who have the most information uh, are the people who really don't know. Uh, and they want to find more information. Uh, they are undecided. Uh, the largest block of voters by far in Connecticut is uh, is unaffiliated. And then there's a whole lot of Democrats. And then there's a smaller number of Republicans. What what seems to be happening with the Stefanowski campaign, and this may very well be a very canny strategy, is we're just going to really appeal to people who are overwhelmingly going to vote for a Republican. Those polls are pretty clear. 80, 90 percent of Republicans are going to vote for Bob Stefanowski. And if all of them turn out and because Republicans vote in in bigger numbers than Democrats tend to, uh, many of his voters might be older. They will tend to vote in midterm elections more so than younger voters. You will have enough turnout amongst uh, Republicans and some currently undecided or unaffiliated voters to be able to to turn the tide. But I, I just always felt, and I don't know how Neil feels about this, that there's a lot of fish in that sea of unaffiliated voters who are looking for good answers, looking for people who are going to do more than you know just say, I'm going to cut taxes, but really want to know, now, how are you going to lead the state? How are you going to act when a big snowstorm hits? What's going to happen if you've got to do something with the federal government that's unexpected? And what are you going to do about rising seas in towns like Madison? These are all things that I think people really want to know about, about their governor. And some of them are public radio listeners, and some of them listen to WTIC, and some of them read Breitbart. And they're all out there looking for, looking for information. Uh, Neil Victor. Uh, you know, I think that uh, the uh, the Stefanowski campaign uh, that they, uh, you know, there is a trepidation uh, about uh, you know perhaps a, a gaffe or you know be, being asked about uh, you know well which agency are you going to cut or which program are you going to cut uh, and and being pressed on you know uh, Bob has talked about moving to zero based budgeting uh, which he would uh, bring from his corporate background and uh, I think that. Uh, the Stepanowski campaign had decided that, uh, you know, that the message of uh, tax cuts uh, rather than the fine print is how they're going to roll, uh, win or lose. And uh, they're starting to see in this latest Sacred Heart and Hearst poll that uh, the unaffiliated are, are breaking for Stepanowski. And uh, there are about 800,000 unaffiliated voters uh, in the state, and uh, that's more than Democrats who are in the 700,000 and uh, certainly more than uh, the 400,000 Republicans. 
We're going to be talking more about, again, these uh, promises made on the uh, the campaign trail from Bob Stefanowski with uh, repealing the income tax and what he could realistically cut. Uh, Keith Fan from the Connecticut Mirror will be joining us in just a few minutes. But I wanted to go back to the question of transparency again. He's running a campaign being, being very clever about um, who he's going to speak to, um, shutting out the press. Uh, and I'm wondering within the Capitol Press Corps, Neil, are there concerns about if Bob Stefanowski is elected, what does that mean for transparency and access to the, the governor of the state of Connecticut? Well, I, I know that uh, some of my colleagues have uh, have certainly been uh, frustrated with uh, the kind of uh, access and the kind of cat and mouse game about, well, where's Bob? And uh, I had uh, talked to uh, Rich Hanley, the uh, media professor at Quinnipiac, for my story that ran over the weekend. And, uh, he, you know, he makes a point that, uh, you know, dealing with the media in a campaign is really, you know, training for uh, when you're governor and when there's a crisis and having to answer for it. Uh, so certainly there are, there are people that uh, have that uh, sentiment. Neil, Victor, oh, go ahead, John. I'm sorry, Lucy, very quickly, I just wanted to say, and that's why I mentioned that this, this part of the job that includes, you know, putting on the hat and the bomber jacket when there's a big snowstorm, the thing that Governor Malloy had to do several times in his first year on the job, you don't really prepare for that sort of thing. And you're, you're there with a bunch of pesky reporters who are up in their pajamas asking tough questions at six o'clock in the morning about how we're going to open up the roads. And those are the sorts of things that governors have to do, too. And so whoever wins this race, they're going to have to be prepared to, to do that part of the job and not just figure out how we're going to balance the budget, how we're going to balance the tax structure in the state. Those are the real things people have to do, too, when they take on that job. John Denkowski is host of WNPR's The Wheelhouse, also executive editor of the New England News Collaborative. John, thanks for calling in. Thanks so much, Lucy. Also, Neil Victor, political reporter at the Hartford Current. Neil, thank you. Great to be with you, Lucy. Have a good day. You too. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we're going to focus in on Bob Stefanowski's promise to repeal the state income tax. And if elected realistically, where could he cut spending? Keith Faniff will join us to talk more about the state budget. And we want to hear from you, too. Uh, which gubernatorial candidate are you leaning towards November 6th? Join us at 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. So what do Connecticut voters know about GOP candidate Bob Stefanowski? He's a businessman. He spent almost a decade living and working abroad. He didn't vote for 16 years, and he wants to repeal Connecticut's income tax. Is that enough information for voters when they cast their ballot on Election Day? We were hoping to learn more about Bob Stefanowski by sitting down with him for a long-form interview, as we've done with other gubernatorial candidates, but he canceled his appearance on our show today. So instead, we're spending time on the campaign points Stefanowski has addressed, mostly in debates and the occasional press interview. And you can join our conversation, too. The number 860-275-7266. What kinds of answers are you looking for from Stefanowski and other governor candidates? 
tweets. We want to hear from you again. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, joining us now is Keith Faniff, who follows the Capitol closely for the Connecticut Mirror and knows more about the budget than, dare I say, some legislators. Keith, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So we've been hearing uh, Bob Stefanowski talking a lot about this idea to repeal the income tax over eight years. There haven't been a lot of interviews where he sat down, uh, broadcast interviews where he sat down and talked about uh, different issues uh, in that long form uh, format. But uh, I did want to mention that he was on Face the State with Dennis House just a couple of weeks ago. And this is what he told Dennis House about his income tax proposal. In the 25 years before we had that income tax, Connecticut was the fastest growing state in the entire country. In the 25 years since, we're the only um, state that hasn't recovered the jobs from the Great Recession. Uh, we have a horrible economy, so it shows the power of tax policy. I would say number two, it's an eight-year plan. We've got no tax cuts in the first two years. We're going to gradually phase it in as we can afford to do it. So we heard uh, Bob Stefanowski uh, again talking about that income tax proposal. This is something your colleague uh, Mark Pazniokas also reported on the other day. So again, realistically, when we hear about um, Bob making the point that before the income tax, uh, uh, Connecticut was prospering. Uh, this is before 1991. But there were other ways that the state was getting needed revenue. How was it? That's that's the part that um, it, it shows that Bob is is perhaps not as familiar with Connecticut history as m maybe he needs to be. Connecticut has been taxing income, wait for it now, for the better part of almost 50 years. For people who are now doing math going, wait, 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 1991 to now. Here's the problem. Starting in 1970, Connecticut had a tax on income. It was specifically capital gains. In 1972, we added a tax on dividends and interest. Now, granted, if you don't remember paying it and you're like me, you're 54. Well, I didn't pay it at the time because I was in kindergarten and then elementary school. But for the seniors out there who say, well, it was, it was primarily a tax on the wealthy. You had to make a considerable amount of capital gains or dividends to pay that tax. But that tax was how Connecticut built up its surpluses in those exact same times that Bob is saying, oh, we seem to do so well in the 70s and the 80s. In, in the mid-1980s, the capital gains and dividends tax paid for almost 12 percent of the budget. The sales tax doesn't boom. It doesn't shrink. It's relatively flat. So during that period of time, not only did we have an income tax, not only did we have an income tax in the wealthy, but we taxed them at higher rates than we do today. And so when we uh, hear that uh, this income tax uh, repeal from Bob Stefanowski, if elected, would be over eight years, um, he's also mentioned, again, that uh, this wouldn't be immediate, that he would uh, try to cut spending after two years. So where realistically could the state of uh, uh, Connecticut cut when we talk about the pension liabilities that haven't been paid all this time? That's, that's the other problem. Bob, Bob is trying to take this business approach. He's saying, look, I'm going to begin with zero-based budgeting. It's, I call it white-knuckle fiscal sobriety. I'm just going to refuse to give departments more and that will be enough. It'll be enough until a federal judge comes in and says, Connecticut, pay your bills. Um, we have huge segments of our budget that are largely locked in by contract. We can bluster, we can talk about it, but we have to pay these bills. We have right now four line items, just four line items in the budget, okay? 
Retirement benefits, we're talking about pension contributions for teachers, pension contributions for state employees, retirement benefits for state employees, retirement health care, excuse me. Again, I'm not talking about health care for people on the job today, just for retirees, those three retirement benefits and debt service, the payments on the money we borrow to build schools, projects at UConn, uh, fixed state buildings. Those four line items, which were maybe not even 10% of the budget when we passed the income tax that we all know in 1991, they're almost one-third of the budget today. One-third of the budget just goes for that. And we haven't hired a state employee yet. We haven't had a Medicaid program established yet. And we're building our budget from zero up. One-third of it's out the door. And we're still in the contractual area. Then you factor in salaries and benefits. Medicaid, and by the way, we're talking $2.5 billion that you can't just turn around and stop without the federal government's permission. Now, all of a sudden, you're over 60% of the budget that's locked in. And here's what's left. It's the areas that Bob and most of the candidates say they don't want to touch. And even if they said they did, good luck dealing with the legislature. You're talking about municipal aid. You're talking about the block grants to Colleges and universities, public colleges and universities, by the way, the community colleges and the state universities, tuition's already about 25% tuition and fees, 25% higher than it was eight years ago. UConn, 35% higher. Um, And then you're talking about social services specifically that are not Medicaid reimbursed. We're talking about the programs where the state says, even though the federal government doesn't help us, we're going to step in. You're talking about needle exchange. You're talking about teen pregnancy prevention. Again, Good luck chopping into that. You're hearing Keith Faniff. He's a reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. As we uh, dive into some of the campaign promises, GOP candidate Bob Stefanowski um, has delivered um, since uh, before the primary and now that he is uh, in a tie, a statistical tie with uh, uh, Democrat Ned Lamont. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Something else, uh, Keith, that we have heard him say often just in that debate the other week uh, was talking about zero-base budgeting. This is what Stefanowski mentioned. Every department come in, we will exercise zero-based budgeting. We have a $40 billion biannual budget. Does anybody in the audience or anybody at home think I can't find 5 to 10% of waste, fraud, and abuse in the state of Connecticut government? So when we hear, again, uh, zero-based budgeting, so what's the biggest state agency uh, that uh, Connecticut funds? Is it Department of Social Services? Uh, Department of Social Services is the largest. But I I, I just want to mention, Lucy, because I've been following the waste, fraud, and abuse line throughout the campaign. Initially, Bob made it sound, he would say, I only need 5%. He was getting, I think, one and two-year budgets confused. He was saying, well, over two years, it's a 40, well, over two years, it's a $40 billion budget. One year, it's 20. So I'm sorry to start doing the math here quickly, but 5% of 40 is 2 billion. Well, that was the one-year deficit. So first off, it's not 5%, it's 10. Here's the other problem. Because what's driving those deficits are these pension costs that are increasing and increasing. By the time you get to the last year of his term, if we didn't make adjustments from today's spending, you'd have a 17% deficit. It would be uh, much larger than the $2 billion hole they're projecting now. Um, There's not close to 17% of waste in the budget. And that's not to say that there aren't places that you still can't cut. But if you're looking at what is discretionary in large numbers, you're talking about municipal aid. And by the way, you could even argue how discretionary is that 
when two-thirds of that municipal aid deal is going into trying to equalize education in Connecticut. I should mention uh, with us in studio as well our, our political analyst, Dr. Bilal Sadku, Associate Professor of Political Science at Hilliard College at the University of Hartford. Bilal, welcome back to the show. Good morning. And Dr. Jonathan Wharton, Assistant Professor of Political Science and Urban Affairs at Southern Connecticut State University. Hi, Jonathan. Good morning, Lucy. Uh, you're also Political Director for Kurt Miller, the GOP candidate for State Comptroller, but you're just here to talk about the gubernatorial race. Exactly. Uh, so we're hearing Keith break it down for us of like what is realistic. This is the what the state of Connecticut, the governor who's elected will have to deal with. There's only so many places to cut. Yet uh, Bob Stefanowski's message of repealing the income tax and cutting spending, going uh, uh, against and for, uh, finding where that uh, waste and abuse and, uh, abuse and fraud is, that's appealing to voters. Uh, why, is the, why is this more uh, factual account of what's realistic uh, n- not making it to voters when they think about you know, why they would like a Bob Stefanowski as governor? Jonathan? Well, I, I guess I'm curious to even ask uh, Keith this question, too, because I hear this over and over again. His his big argument in all this is that what about finding new pathways of broadening out our economy? Because obviously the state economy has a significant Absolutely. shortfall. And so his argument is that if there's a way to grow that base, and that would bring in more revenue. Uh, and I'm not just saying statewide, but even locally, especially when it comes to municipal aid, because obviously that is a big chunk of the budget, too. So I'm curious about your your element, uh, you know, your assessment as it relates to his growing out the economy. Sure. Um, That's, to me, uh, one of the most common questions that's asked. Mm. I think it comes from the fact, and I'm not trying to, by any means, to put down or belittle the question, people know we owe a lot of money, but they don't know how much we owe. And when I say our pension debt is growing faster than the best segment of our general fund tax stream ever grew, in boom years in the 90s and the 2000s. In other words, you could rev that economy up much better than it's doing right now. And by the mid-2020s, the bill collector will be at the door, snatch up every penny of it and say, what else do you have for me? That is how much more money Connecticut owes than almost any other state in the nation in terms of pension debt. And we will be paying on that for the next 15 years, to put it bluntly, until a particular generation of retirees who worked at a time when Connecticut was really irresponsible about saving, until that generation passes on. It's, of course, you want to grow. In a perfect world, you'd love to be able to keep your tax rate stable to get that economy going. The problem is the bill collector won't give you the time to do that. And until someone can show me Um, case law or legal research that says I can just go before a federal judge and say the wealthiest state and the wealthiest nation in the world should not have to pay these obligations because otherwise our economy might decline, then I think you have to be realistic and say what else is the plan to at least mitigate the problem? But you don't have the luxury of waiting to let your economy boom. Listening to your assessment of the budget, I mean, which was very sobering, and I think it's one of the things that probably more people out there in the public needs to know about. That's why and, they don't have me back more often. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things, and I'm, I'm sort of listening, and I'm thinking to myself, and, and Lucy alluded to this, I'm, I'm going, given how sobering that assessment was, why do people out there believe we can still do this? And so for me, I'm sort of wondering about your thoughts about what is that disconnect between the reality of what you actually can do with this budget, 
the limitations um, that we're faced with in tr in terms of trying to you know eliminate the income tax and and make cuts without gutting the social safety net and and dramatically reducing the public sector workforce which would undermine the quality of services that people expect from the state. Why that disconnect out there, you think, between what the public believes is possible who are supporting Stefanowski versus the reality, reality that you just laid out? If you'll forgive me for answering your question with a question, um, I would put it to you because you gentlemen probably can answer this much better than I can. Um, uh, what are the odds of somebody getting elected with a message that's sobering. Um, I mean, I, I've been very, you know, I've, I've shown a lot of light or tried to in the last few minutes on Bob Stefanowski's campaign, but I ran a story today about how Ned Lamont's really painted himself into a fiscal corner. Right. He has said, I'm not going to raise the income tax. I'm not going to raise the sales tax. I'm not even going to tap the rainy day fund, and I'm going to deliver all this tax relief while shielding municipal aid and higher education. There's nothing left. I mean, because if you really think somebody could get elected saying, I can't give you a good root canal. We've done so much damage to our teeth. Um, I hope we have a good dentist and a lot of Novocaine, but I cannot promise you a positive experience any more than I can promise you a good, fun fall out of a third floor window. Connecticut is, you know, I can say tuck and roll and try to not break your neck, but you're going to be in pain. Connecticut's done so much damage over the next 15 years. But the question is, who can get elected? To, you know, I, can I announce today um, Keith Fanna for governor at notachanceinheck.com? <laughs> um, that, that's, that's what it comes down to. And I think people have said there's no chance of getting elected, being candid. Let's just all go with varying degrees of, of I'll be generous here and say positive spin. Uh, we've heard uh, Oz Griebel mention that if he's elected, again, he's a, a below 10 percent of likely voters that would cast a ballot for him, uh, he would want to use the rainy day fund. And this is something that uh, Bob Stefanowski hasn't ruled out if he were elected for the first couple of years. Right. And, and Oz has um, also even said, and I think this is highly legally questionable that he could do it, he wants to, I mean, he wants to go to the unions and say, can we go back to raiding the pension funds for a couple of years? You talk about not a chance in heck. I mean, labor is never going to give the green light to do it. Um, I don't think the legislature would do that. That is the path that Connecticut took. And even though Oz has said, well, maybe there's some ways we can um, try to mitigate how, how much damage we do to the pension fund, um, that's, I can't see anybody backing that path. This is where we live. Keith Fannin from the Connecticut Mirror is here. Also, Dr. Bilal Sidku from the University of Hartford and Dr. Jonathan Wharton from Southern Connecticut State University, uh, both uh, professors of political science. You can join us, too, at the number 860-275-7266. Christina is calling from New Britain. Christina, go ahead. Hi, yes. Um, I wanted to call because I, I was very troubled that Bob did not show up today. Um, you know, I'm an independent millennial voter in this state, really speaking to that base that um, you guys were talking about earlier. And I've been listening to all of your shows, and they really have been insightful and intriguing. I think that um, all of the candidates are a little troubling, um, including Ned Lamont. So that just goes to show that I am here for you to tell me, like, what you want to do for this state. You know, um, I go to a public university in this state. I'm very concerned about how you feel about student budgets. And Bob missed a chance to tell me about that. And he also, you know, comparing him to Trump is a little troubling, too, because it's kind of what he wants. 
this idea of diminishing any voice that doesn't agree with you is not right. And I really think that residents in the state, especially millennial voters, like, please get out there because the local stuff will affect you way more than any of the national hysteria that they get you to buy into. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to tell you that. And I appreciate what NPR does, like getting visibility to all of the candidates, because I need to see them. Um, we don't get to see all of you. So don't just go to the towns that you think you're going to capture. Like, try and capture me. I'm out here in New Britain. Thank you, Christina, for for your call and for listening. I wanted to go back to Jonathan Wharton. Uh, She made the point that um, often comparing him to Trump is problematic, and it's actually something that I think probably helps, uh, uh, you know, really solidify his base. Uh, This is something that we've heard Democrat Ned Lamont often doing. Is that is that problematic for him as he's now in a in a tie with Stefanowski? Well, what Stefanowski said publicly, and and even the party has kind of cemented as well, is to stress that listen, when it comes to Donald Trump, their concerns, their problems their issues, especially in terms of his messaging, but it's all about the economy. And that as president, he's found ways of broadening out the economy, especially the U.S. national economy. And so the emphasis that Stefanowski is stressing is that we can do the same thing here in Connecticut, taking some of the same policies and stressing the economic ones as opposed to the other issues. So I think that's what Stefanowski is relying on. Um, to at least consider the basis, you said, Lucy, but also consider a lot of the independents and affiliated voters out there and recognize that it's the economy. Yeah. But you know what's interesting to me, though, and this came out in the previous section, sec, uh, session, section of this talk, that there's this playbook that it seems that people are now turning to. And that playbook is to make promises you know you can't keep, right? There was never going to be a 2,000-mile wall built a- across the southern border of the country. But it was something that resonated with the base. It was something that the base could rally around. You can talk about you know, getting rid of the income tax. There are a lot of people in Connecticut who hate taxes. What strikes me is particularly problematic about this moment, though, is that you would expect people to turn to the media to get that information that they need to really help clarify what the budget is, what are the possibilities, to hear tough questions be asked of the politicians. But there's also this recognition, and I think what Stefanowski recognizes, is that the media in Connecticut, like the media across the country, um, the public is suspicious of, especially among Republican Voters, And so what that essentially means then is that he can sort of dodge the media, not show up for interviews, and it doesn't hurt him with the base because the base doesn't trust the media anyway. And I imagine that a lot of independents are probably in that camp as well in terms of not trusting the media, and this is part of the problem. I wouldn't say all the media, though. I think that there's an interest out there among some Republicans that oftentimes um, there's a framing. There's at least a, a, a preference for uh, not one side over another, but more lopsided, it appears, more liberal uh, and, and centrist as opposed to more conservative libertarian right. perspective out there. And I think that's that's a bigger issue that we need to kind of get into. Um, yeah, obviously media literacy is critical, but assessing opinions versus, you know, actual news information needs to be discerned. And often that's not out there. But I think we're at that point where people have lost the ability to make that distinction. I, between, I agree with and, you on and that. What, and what happens <laughs> is that we treat any sobering assessment that Keep just gave to us mm-hmm. as just an opinion of the Connecticut Mirror reporter rather than an analysis, sort of, an analysis and, of the state and the limitations we, we confront. I think that's, first of all, very insightful, totally valid. And I think to add to that, the media is somewhat responsible, not not solely, but also plays a role in that lack of trust because the media has lost so much institutional memory. It has deteriorated in a lot of ways like other, other organizations, other entities. It, 
uh, doesn't have the same level of experience, the same level of reporting expertise expertise that it had a decade ago, 20 years ago, and you don't get as many sobering assessments because some news organizations lack the personnel to go deep into these topics. So you get this superficial he said, she said type reporting. Well, uh, Jane Doe said that she can, you know, solve all of our problems and give everybody golden cars. And her opponent, John Smith, says, I disagree. That's what passes for an investigation a lot of times. And it's it's not a surprise that some people are getting frustrated. And the bottom line, ratings. You're also speaking, obviously, to a certain market. It works. Both sides. But we're glad to have Keith Fannin from the Connecticut Mirror to give us that sobering analysis uh, in the context of what Connecticut is facing over the next uh, several uh, years. Uh, Keith, thank you for coming on. We appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. This is where we live. We're going to take a quick break. And coming up, we're going to ask our political ana- analysis again. What are some other issues that voters want to hear from the candidates before they cast their ballot? And we're going to talk with them, Bilal Sikou and Jonathan Morton, right after the break. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. This programming note, uh, Ned Lamont is coming on Where We Live tomorrow for our gubernatorial series where we're sitting down with candidates, asking them questions and taking your questions too, both on air and on Facebook Live. Don't miss that conversation tomorrow. Now, we've been focusing on GOP candidate Bob Stefanowski today. He did cancel his appearance on Where We Live. But um, as we've been talking, there's still plenty of questions that voters have about him and what he could do if elected governor of the state of Connecticut. Political analysts uh, Bilal Siku and Jonathan Wharton are with me in studio. I uh, mentioned this earlier, but I want to circle back to it. You know, what are some other issues that voters want to hear from the candidates? Again, as Keith mentioned, they don't want to hear all the doom and gloom about how we, we haven't been paying our liabilities, and there's no easy answer in front of us. Jonathan. I think, number one, you see all the polls out there, all the universities put out there, it is the economy. That is probably the pressing issue out there. I would say, number two, the cost of living here. Again, Again, there is financially related, something that Stefanowski has certainly been speaking about. Uh, beyond that, there's concerns still related about education, um, certainly, uh, you know, what's going on uh, in that area, in that field. And uh, what can we do as a state uh, to bring more pride back? I'm curious about that. I mean, you hear about that, too. It seems like we've lost our mojo. Bilal. <laughs> yeah, those would actually be my top three issues as well. And so let me just sort of dig down around the, the issue of education, which is mm-hmm. something that I care a great deal about. I think our state has some real challenges in front of it, um, you know, not only in terms of equity and balance, in terms of spending in school, but also improving test scores and raising the quality of education across all of our cities in the state, getting rid of this huge gap we have between um, uh, between suburban and urban school systems and also between um, uh, whites and non-whites. And so I I would love to hear our politicians talk a lot more about how they would accomplish that. Uh, Carolyn's calling in um, from West Hartford. Carolyn, what do you want to hear from the candidates? Well, um, I agree with uh, the panel that, um, you know, the issues of the economy, especially fiscal and transparency issues, are critical but I have not heard any discussion about so, among the candidates, especially for social or um, civil rights issues, and especially abortion rights and LGBTQ rights. Um, so those are issues that I would like to have people address, and I'm particularly concerned about the lack of questions in these areas. 
Thank you. Thank you, Carolyn, uh, for for your call. Uh, going back to education, uh, we were curious again if uh, Bob Stefanowski had appeared on the show. We wanted to talk to him about um, how you fund public school education as well as higher ed. Um, in the Hartford Current, it reported last month that Stefanowski said his plans for education include maintaining state grants to municipalities and encouraging students to explore the state's vocational and technical schools, uh, but no mention of the community college uh, system, which uh, under Ojekian. Uh, could see some drastic changes. And I'm just wondering, um, is that something that uh, state residents that are employed and who go to community colleges right. are worried about? I think in particular, as we you know try to reposition Connecticut as a place where job growth will occur, community colleges will play a critical role in helping that um, occur. Because you've got people who will need to go back to school for to be retrained or trained in new areas, community colleges will play a very vital role in making that happen. And so I think, you know, and this is a challenge across the nation, not just in Connecticut, but it is something that we absolutely need to be talking more about. I, I think the critical issue right now we're faced with is that we have over a dozen community colleges. And obviously that's something that the commission's dealing with right now at the state level. Do you find ways or pathways of cutting some of those out, merging them, making it all one institution? This is something obviously that O'Jakey, as you said, is dealing with the Students First initiative. Then we obviously have four regional universities, including Southern. What do we do about that? Look, it's no secret. Enrollment has been dwindling in the last couple of years. What do we do to buoy that up? Yeah. And uh, that that is a big issue. That is a big area that has to be addressed. I mean, in general, the Northeast is challenged with, you know, trying to increase enrollments because the, the number of kids who are graduating from high school in the Northeast is declining. It is. And so we've got to figure out ways to attract kids from other parts of the country to come into the Northeast to, to get an education. But I think you're absolutely right. And th- that's really one of the biggest challenges that we're losing bodies and we need them in, in our in our classrooms in order to give them the kind of education they need. Absolutely. Lucy, if I can go back to even the callers and what the caller mentioned, I think when we're seeing the candidates, when it comes to social issues, it's not being touched because that's largely an area that's almost a third rail to at least bring up her question and concern about that on both sides of the aisle, really. I was talking to a Hispanic woman who told me that uh, this slate of candidates is pretty bland, which wonders where makes me wonder, you know, are black and Hispanic voters going to turn up from the cities to vote for any of these gubernatorial candidates? That's one thing I'm going to be paying attention to because obviously urban di- you know, demographics is something that I specialize in I'm very interested in. I want to see how many people are going to show up from the urban areas. Bilal, 30 seconds. <laughs> I, th- I think the strategy that Stefanowski has pursued, I think in part is a reflection of his belief that that enthusiasm is not there for uh, Ned Lamont. And so they've got a lot of work to do in the next week or two to turn out people to vote. I'm happy to say both Bilal and Jonathan will be back tomorrow uh, after we interview uh, Democrat, uh, Democratic candidate Ned Lamont. So we'll hear your analysis of his campaign. And then uh, we'll be continuing our conversation on Monday. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Scott Breedy. Thanks for listening.